Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Griffin, and I'm back with my co-host from sabbatical, Mr. Adam Hawkins. Adam, welcome back. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. You look like you've grown a luscious sabbatical beard. I have. It's like it's it grows in patches, but it <laughs> <laughs> the patches that grew in are luscious. They are. They look great. Thank it, you. <laughs> And we are here together, all together, for all the first time together as a full-time co-host, Elizabeth Woodson, joins us as an official part of the team. Elizabeth, how official. you doing? I am fabulous. You are fabulous. <laughs> Let me just say that the best thing that this podcast has ever done is ever. make Elizabeth an official host. This is the best. I don't know this why. is the epitome. This is the zenith. Of we the made it. Matters. When we I made heard it. that that happened over pod, uh, over my sabbatical, I thought we made it. Well, we had There's to make nowhere that, else to go. We had to make that decision while you're on sabbatical because we knew you were against it. <laughs> wow. So we thought wow. you'd come back. Do not listen to that. <laughs> Do not listen to that. Also in the room with us today is our producer, David Roark. David, glad to have you with us today. You doing all right, buddy? Doing all right. Great. Awesome. You're going to play a huge role in the topics we have before us because I know these topics you have some passion for. Today on today's episode, we're doing a cultural roundup. We're going to talk about the Oscars, Oscar nominations, the recent untimely death of NBA great Kobe Bryant and his daughter and some others in a helicopter crash, and the recent March for Life that was in DC just a few weeks ago. So without further ado, we're going to get right into these topics. All right, guys, let's start off our discussion today by talking about the Oscars. Mm. This is never controversial. It's always really straightforward who the best actors, best actresses are. Uh, okay, honestly, there's a lot of controversy this year around the Oscars. I don't know if you guys, have you guys caught up, caught up with any of this about um, uh, best actor, best actress nominations? Any of it? What do you, what do you mean by I just kept mean up like, with it? I, I mean, are you aware that there are some complaints about the <laughs> complaints about the lack of diversity in this year's nominations? That's every single year, man. Why is it every single year, David? The Academy's white. Oh, is that, is that true? I don't know. Oh, how many yeah. people vote on I these assume, things? David? I assume I don't. I don't know the answer to that question. Okay, I do know that they've tried to make an increase in diversity in the Academy in the voting, and yet it seems like every year this is where we sit. Yeah, I mean, every year the hashtag Oscar is so white. Yeah. And so last year they did, I saw an effort to have more diversity um, in the nominations and then the actual people that won. But then this year, we just see it kind of feels like it went back to normal. Yeah. It and probably I'd- has way less to do for what it's worth with the actual Academy and just the the structures and processes in terms of how you get a movie made and some of those ground level things that still have yet to be rebuilt. You know, I think it's way more about that than... What gets voted for and what doesn't? Well, who's yeah. mi- what's missing? Like, uh, uh, meaning, are there performances that are yeah. people are like, what? what? Why'd they overlook that? I mean, that's what I'm interested yeah, in. Yeah, I, absolutely. I think if you look at um, uh, the one I brought up is Just Mercy. Mm-hmm. Just Mercy with Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx, both of them were incredible. I've heard in that. that yeah. yeah, yeah, they're incredible. And yeah, it's based on a true story, and the screenplay is fantastic. And I think it did get a nomination for for something, but not for acting. And uh, I think the acting in that movie was incredible. It was a powerful, powerful film. And uh, that is the question, though. It is a good question, Adam. It's like, is somebody being left out, mm-hmm. or is this just a year where the best uh, weren't a diverse crowd? And I think the, some of the best were left out when, mm-hmm. I, when I think about this last year. And mm-hmm. I haven't watched every movie, and I don't know every performance, but I do wonder just how diverse that group is. But controversy aside, there's a, there's a bunch of great movies. And a couple of years ago, they expanded the Best Picture nominee list 
to to be uh, what's our total now, David? How many do they accept for twenty five? Twenty five. <laughs> I believe it's no more than ten, but no it, it doesn't 10. have to be ten. It's it not can, always it can ten. Be whatever number they right. choose. The nominees this year for Best Picture were Ford versus Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, Nineteen Seventeen, Parasite, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. David, you've seen a bunch of these movies. Uh and I assume Adam, Elizabeth, you guys have seen some of these. I've seen a handful of them, not all of them, but I've seen a handful of them. Any of them stick out to you as like, oh, those are easy to eliminate or easy, easily good contenders to be picture of the year this year? Um, the only one, I, this is just a probably unfair judgment, but Ford, Ferrari, Ford versus Ferrari, which I haven't seen, yeah, just doesn't feel like it should be on this list. Why and is that? Based on what I've read about it, it just doesn't seem like... It was the caliber of movie as these other ones. But I don't have a lot to back that up except for what I've read and just sort of its critical, I guess, where it stands critically compared to the other ones. That's the only one that stands out as it shouldn't maybe be on here. Anything anything you really do like? I probably wouldn't put Joker on there. It was really good, but yeah. You would not put Joker on there? Yeah. Is that because of the the nature of the... Like, I know the Academy likes certain types of movies, but... Yeah, I mean, like I see why they put it on there. I just don't know that it, I would have given it a nomination. Okay, but, Adam, anything on that list stick out to you? Uh, for the ones that I've seen, which is a handful, um, I think they're all they all make sense to me that they're on there. Uh, I, there's not any that that uh, I, like I haven't seen Ford vs Ferrari, so I I can't say. Um, but uh, I, yeah, the ones I've seen, I'm like they're all great films. I disagree with David. I thought Joker was a brilliant film. I know it's super dark. Uh, I thought Joaquin Phoenix's performance in it was just like incredible. Uh, I thought it was timely in terms of uh, its commentary on society, at least even if you disagree with it. But it, um, I think the you know the conversation that could come with it is interesting. So I yeah I like it. I think Marriage Story is a brilliant film. Mm-hmm. So. How about you, Elizabeth? Anything stick out to you on that list? Um, I think I would say Marriage Story and just kind of this beautiful yet really painful depiction of divorce and its impact on impact on the family. And so Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson and just their performance in that. And so that's really the only one that I'm most familiar with is Marriage Story. Again, Joker, just some of the things that I've seen. Very complex, very dark, um, but I think a beautiful piece of film. In yeah. That. Did anybody see 1917? Yeah. David, did you no. see that, Elizabeth? It's one of the no. few I haven't seen. Oh my goodness! If that doesn't yeah, I heard really for, good things about. Yeah, it's incredible. Though. If that doesn't win for best cinematography, I don't know what should because it's basically two shots or yeah. something like well, that. It's a seven, to, but it's, yeah, it's one shot. It's seem like shot. it's like single yeah. shot, and there are some breaks in the timeline there where they kind of yep. scale between things. But the the emotional feel, and it's the uh, movies like this, like Birdman has was done kind of yep. like that, mm-hmm. and there are others like that. And Birdman actually won Picture of the Year, I think, didn't mm-hmm. it? Uh, with Michael Keaton. Yep, and uh, this picture—it is done seeming like you're there in World War One mm-hmm. in a incredibly profound way. You're walking through this, and you have um, just—I feel like a visceral response to the movie. Yes, and to me, that's that's what makes a movie truly great. Is man, I felt mm-hmm. you're, if you feel emotionally wrapped yeah. up in what's happening, 
that's profound. So I thought 1917 was significant. It's also, we should mention, it's really significant that Parasite is nominated for movie mm-hmm. of the it's year. It's super significant. Mm-hmm. Because it's a foreign language film, mm-hmm. Korean film by a, a Korean director with a Korean cast, yeah. who I believe won Golden Globe for Best Ensemble mm-hmm. Acting Cast, right? Which that was fairly significant as well. But uh, I love that there's a Korean language mm-hmm. film in here that really was, it was a quality, quality movie. And in some ways, some ways lost on me because I didn't grow up in Korean culture. We've talked about it on episodes before, but a brilliant movie. I also kind of like that Jojo Rabbit was nominated. <laughs> the movie is full of so much silliness. So to me, to have the Academy nominate a movie that is satirical and silly and yet tackles a really difficult topic of the Holocaust and of World War II, to me, that was pretty profound. Normally, when I think of Academy Awards, I think of them nominating serious movies by famous directors, like The Irishman. Was yeah. like That seems very typical for what they would do. Martin Scorsese, serious movie. And, and if, and, uh, you know, just on the diversity front there, Jojo Rabbit's director is uh, Kiwi, so he's New Zealander, mm-hmm. but he's also part of the indigenous population there. So right. it is interesting um, on that front, just saying there is some diversity, at least yep. on there. Uh, it may not be what everybody wanted, but... And, but, cer- yeah. and certainly a lot of diversity in terms of a genre and the types of yes, movies. That's yes, like, that's yep. And maybe that's why Ford versus Ferrari does make sense on there. Like it just sort of like caps it all off, yeah. you know, as this other movie that kind of is its own genre. Any Anything missing to you guys from the list? Would you be like, I can't believe, I mean, I think you mentioned Just, Just Mercy. Mercy. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think even back on this year if there was anything else that really stuck out to me. Uh, us, maybe, you would say? Mm-hmm. Maybe Us? Us was really good. Yeah, I... Or Uncut Gems. Some people really like yeah. that movie. I didn't Gosh. see it. It does not appeal to me to see that, Adam Sandler do something like that. That was a brilliant film. That movie. <laughs> I, I don't know that I could unsee that movie. Like I, I still sometimes wake it up thinking. You? Yeah, I wake up thinking about it. It's. I would say, honestly, that movie's missing. And then the biggest one, which was my favorite movie of the year, which if anyone listened to the last episode, end of year, they're going to be like, well, you said your favorite movie was Parasite. It was at that time, but I saw A Hidden Life <laughs> by Terrence Malick, which is the and story. You love Malick, right? Yeah, he's my favorite director. Yeah. And the story's uh, set around World War II. It's an Austrian uh, Christian, Franz, I'm not going to even try to say his last name, who chooses because of his faith not to join the the Nazi regime. And oh, so yes. much dialogue. This is like in the, in the mountains and, and there's like valleys, you're... On kind of on location in this glorious place, right? Yeah, it feels like the sound of music, yes. the, you know, <laughs> visually speaking. Yeah. But it's yeah, it's beautiful. But you know, Malik is mostly like voiceover, not a lot of like characters talking to one another. That's the way he just makes movies. Mm-hmm. So you just get a lot of like people reflecting and thinking in their thoughts. So you have a lot of just like reflect, like prayers, prayers to the Lord. Um, this man's wife, like thinking about how she's processing all of this and his decision. And I mean, it's based on a true story. So like how it ends is no like shocker. Most people who go into it know that he ends up dying. Um, but it's, uh, it just to see it play out is it's wild. And, okay. and if you're a Christian, I would say this is one of the most, um, should be one of the most important movies that's come out in a very long time. Well, that's a good segue, because let's talk about this. It, looking at the Best Picture nominations can tell us something about the culture that we're a part of. Like what You talked about a variety of genres. You talked about a diversity of directors or casts or even kind of themes. 
When you look at the nominations, anything stick out to you about what does this say about us as a people or anything that should stick out to Christians about uh, any of these movies speak specifically to either the way we think or maybe the opposite of what we think? Is there any themes there that stick out to you guys? I to I don't want to... Elizabeth might be ready to talk about this, but one thing that's interesting about Marriage Story in a culture that seems to devalue... Mm-hmm. I could be wrong about this, but devalue, at least from where I sit, it seems like culture devalues marriage, mm-hmm. especially younger. You know, people are not getting married, choosing not to get married. It's kind of like, what's the point? Uh, it seems like there's just a lot of um, different ways to live now in terms of, yeah, just cohabitating might be a better option. That's It seems to be kind of what's out there. A marriage marriage story highlights almost the importance of marriage in the sense that uh, it's not a light thing to watch this marriage dissolve. Mm-hmm. They almost still hold up this picture of like, man, what people really want is to love one another forever. They want a forever mm-hmm. type love and to watch it crumble uh, through small decisions and through little things. It just really, it it actually painted a beautiful picture of marriage in some ways in the midst of a marriage falling apart. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, because you're only emotionally, you care because you don't want marriage to fall apart. That's right. Right? That's right. Yeah. I can totally see that. Anything else? Any narratives that stick out to you guys or any themes? I mean, Adam and I, Adam Hawkins and I have talked a little bit about this, but with Joker and Parasite, I think you have some similar themes. It's sort of this... um, it's the, and there's another movie that came out this year, too, that I feel like was exploring the same thing. But it's this idea that um, mental illness, um, violence in our culture is mm-hmm. basically basically a result of poverty, class systems, institutions failing people. And mm-hmm. I think that that's what you see in Parasite because you're seeing a group who are on a lower side of society in uh, Korean culture – and there, and you're seeing like how that has changed in who they are, who that's shaped who they are, and their very identities. And basically, the controversy there is that, like you know, with Joker, um, the question is, does it then excuse violence? And is it saying that people behave? We can blame yeah, that people on behave that. this way because of the the situation they've been put in, and that's not their choice. And I think it it's a really good thing to think about as Christians especially, because it helps us just have understanding of where people come from and how that does shape who they are and how some of those things, you know, they have nothing, they had no control of that. But I think it also like allows us to kind of fill in the blank. It's like, well, but at the end of the day, we know that if all the institutions in the world were perfect and all the class systems were perfect, that that's still not going to solve like man's problem, mm. yeah. which I think is what it, they would probably, that would be the answer to what they're getting at. Right. Mm. Mm. Do you, yeah. Did you see that in both of those? I movies? think for sure. Joker and parasite too. It's complex, but yeah, mm. there there's the, the idea, I think maybe Brett McCracken wrote on, I don't remember, but somebody wrote an article that basically the idea is there's a parasite in all of us. Mm. And so there was a different take a little bit on, on, that film. Um, uh, but yes, I think you're right. The point in both of them is, uh, I think what we all want to do is look around at our circumstances and say, um, this is why I am who I am. And there is part of that that's true. But like the gospel always does, it comes in and says, yeah, part of that's true, but there's also a way uh, to find freedom and hope and joy despite your circumstances. Uh, yeah. Or maybe even the, the circumstances that... Maybe you thought we're going to shape you for the worse. God can come in and sort of make them 
it can make it all look very beautiful in, That's in some way. Uh-huh. So yeah. One of the themes I see a lot in a lot of movies in general and stories, most uh, most really good stories have dynamic characters, characters that change throughout a story, ch- characters that change throughout uh, a film. And so what you see in a lot of these movies is, and if you think about the change these characters go through, uh, obviously Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is uh, a director's idea of what if we could go back and change actual events and you could uh, put a hero in there that would change Charles Manson doesn't murder everybody. We They murder Charles Manson's family is kind of the way that goes. Or Parasite is this movie about what if you could change your circumstances? You were impoverished, but you go and you change them based on it. It's kind of swindling, but you're, you're trying to change their circumstances. And Ford versus Ferrari is what if we didn't put up with the status quo, we'd be able to, we, we competed with the best. And Jojo Rabbit is what if the status quo was uh, Nazism? Would you change? Would you be able to change if you were fanatical? And he uses a child to show what if we could change for the better? And I think that's such an important theme for Christians to look into the world and see there's a desire for change. We love to see people change. Even in Joker, if the change is descending into madness, that's what makes it a dark movie mm-hmm. where it doesn't leave you feeling super satisfied. Or in Marriage Story, where you see a marriage crumble, it's like it, it plays on your desire to see things change for the better. And what is the Christian story other than the desire to see all things made new? Mm. What if who we are does not have to determine who we will be? That is the Christian story, that in the light of the power of the Holy Spirit, empowered by that Holy Spirit, we who are Christians, and in this room, American Christians, do not have to put up with the status quo. We can do better because we are empowered by a God who knows better. Trust Him more than we trust ourselves. And I think you see that in stories over and over and over again. How does the main character desire to change, or how do you as the audience wish they were not going that direction? You want better for them. And the only way we do that is by, honestly, getting into the Word of God, being with the people of God, asking the Lord for this change. And so we believe change is very possible. We see that in the Scripture over and over again. All right, in our next section, we do have to talk about something that is, I mean, it's everywhere in the news right now. It's uh, on a lot of people's minds. You hear it, you probably talked about it at work or at school. You, you can't have missed this story this week. And for a lot of people, this is a powerful, emotional experience this week. And that is that the death of a celebrity and one of the, one of our country's probably most famous people, Kobe Bryant, who played for 20 years for the LA Lakers, he died in a helicopter crash along with his 13-year-old daughter and seven other people, including the pilot, just outside Los Angeles this week. And it came down, I think on Sunday afternoon. Is that right? Sunday afternoon. Uh, and so the news spread so fast from TMZ, I think, broke the story. I heard they broke it so fast that his wife actually heard about it from the TMZ posting, um, which is unfortunate. But this was a a significant uh, collective event for our country. And there's a lot here to talk about. David, I know you're a big basketball star. Was anybody here, would you have considered yourself a Kobe Bryant fan or a basketball fan before this moment? Certainly a basketball fan. Yeah. Typically like an enemy of Kobe Bryant. Is that right? <laughs> well, I just don't like the Lakers and I never liked him. But like his greatness, if you care about the sport of transcends basketball. Yeah, it transcends the that. rivalry. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And you just at the end of the day you say, Well, he's one of the best. And yeah. um it's, and it's been fa- it's been crazy to watch. I mean, I, I um I, I've, I'm a fan of basketball. I'm not not as much as David or or some others, but to see how this has transcended basketball, yeah. I, I think one of the most interesting things about the whole uh, about his death, um, celebrities die all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes 
you know, some seem to affect uh, culture more than others. Typically, I feel like it's sort of the subcultures that are affected, right? So if it's like a musician, maybe it affects whatever sort of subculture around that music. But this seems to this seems to have captured something, uh, uh, and I'm I'm curious why you guys think that is. He just had a huge impact beyond basketball and cinema and just even his impact when it came to supporting women in sports. And you mm-hmm. just saw that through the like, hashtag girls dad yeah. that has gone out through social media. But he just people loved him mm-hmm. um, and just what he meant through this idea of following him for 20 years and their love for the Lakers and the cultural icon that the Lakers are for America. Yeah. Um, people just just an affinity for someone. But I think there's something about us and our humanity that causes us to look for people to love because that's just how we're created. That's a great point. Like we can take a, we look for heroes. Mm -hmm. almost. You look for somebody who transcends transcends what is normal. And you feel like because of our celebrity culture and the the way these uh, media outlets work, you feel like you know somebody. Mm -hmm. And the fact that his daughter died in the accident too, I think helps to personalize even a little bit more this person that I'll be honest, uh, personally, I've never met Kobe Bryant. I've never mm-hmm. seen him play live. I can pretty much guarantee I never watched a full Laker game while he was on the team. And yet the news of his death struck me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I was confused a little bit about why am I experiencing such a powerful emotional response to the death of a man who I did not know and some conflict in me about why don't I care, why don't I care as much about the other seven people that yeah. were on that helicopter? Because it is. I think I felt bad because it was like more people died in that crash yeah. than Kobe, but their names people don't know, yeah. um, and they ought to be given their due too yeah. because their lives matter. But part of for me is just, it's the shock of it. Yeah. Like you yeah. don't expect Kobe Bryant to die. He wasn't sick, and he's just doing something he probably has done so many times before. Yeah, and just the. Um, that life ends really quickly and you never know when it's going to be your time. And given and given like the whole Mamba mentality, mm-hmm. this was a guy who seemed untouchable. He worked so hard, even though he was skilled more than probably anybody else. In the, well, one, more than most people in the NBA, he worked still worked harder than anybody else in the NBA. So there was almost this sort of immortal factor mm-hmm. around him that like if anyone were going to, you know, die in a terrible accident like this, it just it wouldn't be him yeah. in your mind, you know? Yeah. And but, he's young. Well, I mean, it, you know, it's all of it. Yeah. It's just 41. Yeah. Like young kids. Yes. One, yes. Of, one of the interesting things about it, too, is that, like, like uh, someone, I saw someone on Twitter say something about, like, you know, he had just started, like, sort of the next chapter of his life, which yeah. is, I think, what maybe hit home for a lot of people because chapter one of his life was one of mixed, <laughs> mixed things. Yeah. You know, he yeah. had the, the rape allegations in yeah. 2003. He, he's lived a pretty, you know, and a lot of teammates did not like him or like playing with him. Right. And um, what you saw, though, like in on public display was this guy who I think anyway, you know, in some ways owned a lot of those things and try, was trying to turn his life around. And mm-hmm. I think you've yeah. seen a lot come out around his faith, his Catholic faith, and some of the conversations he had with the priest there in Los Angeles. I think that that's what sort of makes this so sad. It's because like, man, chapter two was just starting. He was trying to be a good dad. He was coaching. He was raising up his daughters and it seemed like he was very present and, you know, and he had already won an Oscar as a, as a producer, (laughs) which is crazy. You know, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, For, I I think it was a short animated film, but you know, like, um, so I think that that's what makes it hard too. It's like, 
David Brooks's whole like uh, resume virtues versus eulogy mm-hmm. virtues. It's like he spent the first half of his life on those resume virtues that probably didn't matter all that much, even though we will talk about them a lot because it was like five NBA championships or whatever. Right. MVP. And, but like he was just starting to make this turn on like the eulogy virtues, like like I think trying to be a better person um, based on you know his past. Well, so. and you and Elizabeth have both brought up something kind of interesting that. Uh, we love to create heroes or look for heroes, but at the same time, there are people. Some people end up in the public consciousness as a villain, and so uh, of, often uh, people are not as binary as that mm-hmm. in real life. In movies, they are, and these are the stories we're used to: is people are either bad guys or good guys. But what you have in Kobe Bryant is a very famous man, who yes, in very clear ways, was not perfect, and yet he died young. And so you have this conflict in the American psyche of, is this, was this a hero? Some people are like, don't forget, he was a villain. And some people are like, how dare you bring that up? No, he's a hero. It's like, no, this is a man. And what we are reminded of in this moment, I think culturally, is of mortality. You see Shaquille O'Neal, you see other people in his life or that used to be in his life talk about, you know how we respond to this? You hug the people you love closer, remembering that no day is promised. And to me, what better thing for those of us who are Christians to take away from a moment like this to remember that one, no day is promised to you. So every day is a gift and that we might make the most of the days that we've been given, but also just because the Lord didn't come back yesterday and hasn't come back yet today does not mean He's not coming back tomorrow, mm. and it could be tomorrow. So if we treat earth like it's all we have, and we build up our treasures on earth, then it is a very, very sad life that we've lived. But if we put our treasure in heaven, then when our loved ones passed away, yes, there will be grief, there will be pain, but at the same time, there's so much hope. And so as I've talked to some of my friends that are big Kobe fans, I was talking with a young man yesterday who followed Kobe's career. He's a coach, and he was just desperate to find out about his faith in response to the death and go, I wonder if I will see Kobe in heaven. Mm -hmm. Did he believe? Would I believe? And these are the kind of questions he's going through. I think this is an opportunity for Christians to step into a culture that right now is reeling from somebody's death and be able to ask really deep mortality questions. What do you think happens to us after we die? Why do you think it's so profound that we'd have a corporate level of grief when someone dies young? Why does that feel unjust? And these kind of questions are great introductions to being able to share with people what we know to be true about the fact that life is broken. Life ending soon is not the way God made the world, but it is the reality we live in. But that in Jesus Christ, there's been made another way that leads to true immortality. In some ways, Kobe Bryant had the American dream of family, championships, success, talent, money. And in some ways, you have, you have to look at his life and go, at 41, did any of what he'd made, anything he'd done with himself, make him truly immortal? No, he's, he'll be a legend. People will remember him. But he dies just like the rest of us. And so all of us need to transcend this life by giving our life to something that actually supersedes this life which is faith in Jesus Christ. Well, let me, uh, let me transition us to the last thing we want to talk about. Sure. Speaking, of, speaking of life and life and death situations, uh, this last couple weeks ago was the uh, 47th anniversary of the decision Roe v. Wade that legalized abortion in America, where a woman can now um, receive an abortion 
for any reason whatsoever, as long as she can find a medical provider who's willing to perform that abortion. And so in a couple weeks ago, there was the 47th March in D.C. Uh, against that decision to say, let this be overturned. Adam and I have been there for mm-hmm. that march together. I don't remember how many years ago, two or three years ago, we went there together. and But that march took place, and it is often a politicized event and a highly politicized event, but it's also a very deeply religious event. And so I always like to couch these discussions and understanding that the reason I want to talk about abortion is not because of politics. I want to talk about it because of theology, because of what I believe about human beings and because of what I believe about our God. I think it's important for us to be talking about abortion. David, you've, you've spent a lot of time thinking about this. Adam, you've been there. Elizabeth, you and I are fairly new to each other on this topic, mm-hmm. but I'd love to hear from any one of you, why, why is this event so significant? I think it just is such a large gathering of people who stand up for those who can't speak for themselves. Yeah. Um, and just this idea that we ought to be, especially when you think about the religious aspect of the March for Life, that we ought to be a people who value life from womb to the tomb. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the high rates of abortion that we have in our country and the dynamics that are complex that add to that. Um, I think we don't need to paint people as monsters, but people who are making a hard decision because they feel that that's their best decision and that we as Christians have a better story um, and believe we should be able to stand up and provide opportunities and support for that. But it just is, we need to be a voice for our beliefs that we read in the pages of our Bible and put those to our feet. And it just is a really large group of people who are doing that at one time on a significant day, um, the anniversary of Roe versus Wade. Yeah. And it is a large group of people. And I think part of the reason it's important for us to talk about it too, is that you don't really see it on the news. It's not a very broadly covered Mm -hmm. uh, event. You don't turn on most news channels and they show hundreds of thousands of people. When we went there, I was shocked at how big it was because frankly, I'd never heard of it as anything more than like a thing that you know, some Catholic youth groups went to. I'm, I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of how I heard about it. I was like, oh, yeah, it's another march in D.C. And I was kind of expecting, okay, several thousand people. But it felt mass. I don't... It's, I, it's the largest thing I've ever been to. I mean, it, the seas of people mm-hmm. and the, the amount of coverage based on the amount of people there just seemed uh, uh, so disproportionate. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. And there are local marches in lo- most large cities, and those don't receive almost any coverage. And part of it maybe is that it happens year after year. Sure. But I think part of it too is, is the politics of it and, and the, the metrics of it. Like what, are we, what do people want to hear about? And abortion is a hard thing to talk about it. But to your point, Elizabeth, we should talk about it. Because not only are there babies involved, there are women in difficult circumstances Mm -hmm. involved, and many of them feel very alone, and some of them feel very alone because we don't talk about it. But abortion is one of the most common surgeries that takes place in America millions of times a year. You know, what's crazy is it was so diverse to the march. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was crazy. Like, there were tons of Catholics there, but we were there for the Evangelicals for Life conference, which evangelicals have gotten a lot more, I don't know... um, Involved, I think, right? Wouldn't you say over the last decade, probably, they've tried to get more organized. And um, you you had people from all walks of life there, and that was what was really, it was actually quite cool to see. And it's one of the reasons I think it's such a bummer that it's in the last three or four years become 
this political event, uh, like Trump spoke there mm-hmm. this last time. And I think when we were there, maybe Pence spoke at it. And it was just such a bummer because I thought, man, here you have this diverse group of people from all different backgrounds. And now it's going to, this is going to be like the tool that they use to try to like, you know, fuel, charge up their base and all this kind of stuff. Sure. Uh, because in all honesty, it was, it, it has the, it is, and has the potential to be so much bigger than politics, yep. and the issue is so much bigger than politics, yeah. and that's why uh, that's why I think it's just such a gut punch to be like, oh, and this is what we, you know, it, it's going to be. We're going to use you as a pawn, guys, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, oh man. Well, this it is so oversimplification to yes. say the March for Life is a Republican event. It, it's yeah. yes. it is not. It's it not. is not. It's, it is an event of feminists and Democrats, and it is an event of there's atheists there. Atheists. There's I mean, atheists yeah. for life. Yeah, and it is. A divert, there are groups that do not get along that are all marching yes. together <laughs> saying, hey, can we all acknowledge the fact that uh, there is life going on inside of a womb? Yep. And it takes place uh, now, the last three years, a week after the Women's March. And the Women's March is tiny in comparison, but receives much more media attention. And so if you're not paying attention, you would think, hey, abortion's a topic that pretty much the country is settled on. And then you go to an event like this and you go, oh, there are a lot of people yes. that feel like, hey, we should be paying attention to what's happening. And if you've never gone, it is not an expensive trip to go to D.C. It is not a hard... The march takes place on a Friday afternoon for a few hours. It is an easy trip to make to be able to say, we are we are advocating for those who can't speak for themselves. Our church, when I worked at the village, we gathered a group of people and organized them and said, let's be represented there. Let's send some people. And now that I'm another church at Eastside, we got a group of people together and said, our church is going to invest in you going there to represent all of us. And I'd recommend any pastor listening to this to next year, think about your own local march if you're in a larger city or sending a group to DC to let your voice be heard and be represented in the same way that I'd hope if we were in the civil rights movement era right now, I'd say, who are we sending to march on Washington with Martin Luther King Jr.? Or the same way we would do in any era where something significant is happening to say, are we going to sit back and do nothing or will we participate? Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. Today's episode was recorded and mixed by Chris Starrett and produced by David Roark. If you like what you heard, please give us a great review wherever you listen to the podcast and follow us on Instagram and support our patron page at patron.podbean.com slash culture matters. Thank you. God bless. Thank you.